having prayed for and now also sung for the Lord to speak to us, the Lord will speak to us from His Word. So let's turn now to, to Deuteronomy chapter 6 to start. The sermon this afternoon will be uh, focusing on Lord's Day 34, and in particular, the first commandment. I understand that's a little bit out of order from where you're, you would usually be in your catechism preaching season, but unfortunately, I didn't have a sermon available for your, your regular routine. So we'll, we'll study in particular the first commandment this afternoon, and in order to, to set us up for that, we'll read, first of all, from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, the verses 1 through 19. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, to keep all His statutes and His commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged." Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him and shall take oaths in His name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you, for the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken." Thus far, our reading from the Old Testament, let's also now turn to the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 4. Now, the reading from Deuteronomy chapter 6 
comes right after Deuteronomy chapter 5, in which we find the Ten Commandments in Scripture for the second time. So Deuteronomy 6 is an explanation of, in part, the, the first commandment in particular. And now we'll, as we turn to Matthew 4, we'll keep in mind that commandment and see how our Lord Jesus fulfilled it perfectly in this passage, which describes his temptations in the wilderness from the devil. So Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone." Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Thus far our reading from Scripture. Let's now turn to the confessional reading for this afternoon, which comes from Lord's Day 34. Lord's Day 34, we'll pay particular attention to question and answers 94 and 95, but we'll also read the first part of question and answer 92, so that the preamble to the Ten Commandments and the First Commandment itself is, is fresh in our minds, and then we'll move on to question 94. So question 92, what is the law of the Lord? God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And thus follows the rest of the Ten Commandments which we read this morning. Question 94, what does the Lord require in the first commandment? That for the sake of my very salvation, I avoid and flee all idolatry, witchcraft, superstition, and prayer to saints or to other creatures. Further, that I rightly come to know the only true God. Trust in Him alone. Submit to Him with all humility and patience. Expect all good from Him only. And love, fear, and honor Him with all my heart. In short, that I forsake all creatures rather than do the least thing against his will. Question 95, what is idolatry? Idolatry is having or inventing something in which to put our trust 
instead of or in addition to the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to start off the sermon this afternoon the same way that I started the sermon off this morning, and that is by asking a question. This afternoon it will be a series of questions that asks questions of our hearts, and particularly in regards to the first commandment. So the first question is, are you addicted to coffee? Now, that that might seem like a strange question to start, but it's a phrase that we hear quite a bit, don't we? We probably mean that we enjoy a good cup of coffee in the morning, afternoon, maybe even in the evening, if you can handle that much caffeine. It's an enjoyable part of our routine. Well, here's the next question. Are you addicted to the latest Netflix or Amazon Prime series? Now, that's also something we hear quite a bit. We mean that there's a show we really enjoy that makes us want to watch the next one as soon as we're finished the last one. We might be daydreaming about that show while we're at school. We can't wait to get home and watch that next episode. Well, here's, here's one final question. Are you addicted to social media? Do you spend an hour or more a day scrolling through Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and so on? Do you count the followers that you have, the likes that you get? If we're honest with ourselves, if we have social media, this question probably hits a bit deeper than the others, doesn't it? This topic, it it asks deeper questions of our hearts. Now, brothers and sisters, this afternoon we'll consider the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And this commandment, it it leads us to ask important, deep questions of our hearts. Questions like, what are we addicted to? What dominates our thoughts, our energy, our desires, our time? In the first commandment, our God commands us to worship Him alone. That means He he lays claim to our entire heart, our entire lives. By nature, we're, we're so quick to place ourselves on the throne of our heart and create idols for ourselves. But we'll see this afternoon that Our God has provided the the perfect solution to our problem in the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, who fulfilled the law for us. And we'll consider how we can respond to this beautiful solution with heartfelt joy and thankful worship. So that brings us to our theme for this afternoon's sermon. The only true God commands His people to worship Him alone. We'll see Again, three things. First, the problem of our fallen worship. Second, the solution of Jesus' perfect worship. And third, the response of our thankful worship. So first, the problem of our fallen worship. 
Now, in the first commandment, as we read, the Lord says, you shall have no other gods before me. We've heard this, I'm sure, so many times, but if we stop to think more carefully, we might have a few questions about this commandment. First, why does the Lord give the commandment in the negative, no other gods? And second, are there other gods to begin with? Is the Lord one among many gods who compete for our worship? Well, to start, it's important to consider how the Lord introduces the Ten Commandments. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He says there, I am the Lord your God. And then he goes on to remind Israel of what he has done for them. They are no longer slaves to the Egyptians, but they're free. But not free to do whatever they want. They don't belong to Egypt. They belong to the Lord, their God. And therefore, they shall do what He commands, and they shall have no other gods before Him. But we may still ask, are there other gods besides the Lord? In Deuteronomy 4, verse 35 Moses answers this question very clearly. He says, The Lord Himself is God. There is none other besides Him. Now, the so-called gods of the nations, they have no power, no right to being worshipped because they are mere idols of, of wood or stone. In Deuteronomy 5, as I mentioned earlier, we we find the the Ten Commandments in Scripture for the second time. This morning we read the, the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20, and the Lord had given those first to His people when they were camped before Mount Sinai, right after He brought them out of Egypt. But now the second time in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the people of Israel are camped on the plains of Moab just before they're going to cross over the Jordan River and conquer and inherit the promised land. And at this important time of transition, God commands Moses to instruct the people about God's law. He gives them the Ten Commandments the second time, and and most of Deuteronomy reads as an exposition, an explanation of the Ten Commandments. But we might ask, why is this moment so important? Why is this moment of transition so important? Well, in the wilderness, away from the culture of the Egyptians, the Israelites were cut off from pagan influences. But now with the people of Canaan almost a stone's throw away across the Jordan River, Israel is about to enter a land with many other so-called gods. We read about the riches of this land in Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Lord was giving His people large and beautiful cities that you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. Now what what a transformation for Israel. They go from working as slaves in the fields of Egypt, the cucumbers and the garlic, to reaping the rich harvests of vineyards in Canaan. 
In comparison, we might think of refugees fleeing from war-torn Ukraine, the Middle East, or, or Africa, and being brought to live in the prosperous land of cottage country, lakeside living. The Israelites would truly have much to be thankful for. But there would also be a new spiritual danger because the Israelites were stepping into ready-made cities and houses full of Canaanite idols, full of the, the remnants of Canaanite culture. And so Moses warns in Deuteronomy 6, Beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him. You shall not go after other gods lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. Now, since we know the history of Israel, we see it in Scripture, we know what has come before this point, and we know what will come after. Shortly after the Lord gave the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, the Israelites went on to build the golden calf, an idol. And and not long after they received the Ten Commandments on the plains of Moab, they would go into the Promised Land and they would make idols for themselves during the days of the judges. So we might ask, why does this pattern of idolatry from turning of true worship of the Lord alone, why does it happen so many times, so often in Israel's history? Well, to answer this question, we have to go back a a few more pages in Scripture, back to the Garden of Eden, to Adam and Eve. In the beginning, God had created humans to worship Him alone and to obey His commands. And He created them, we confess in the Catechism, He created them so that they could do this. We might think of Eden as a land flowing with milk and honey, where Adam and Eve could serve God in perfect worship. In this perfect garden, God gave Adam this command, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But then, as we know, then came the serpent who who twisted God's words. To paraphrase, the, the serpent said, go ahead and eat of that tree of knowledge of good and evil. You won't die. In fact, you'll even become like God. With this temptation, Adam and Eve were faced with an important question. Would they worship the Lord alone? Or would they choose their own desires and the words of the serpent, over him. Well, we know the the result. Eve saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. And so she allowed her, her own desire, including the desire to become wise like God, to take the place of God in her heart. She turned to the forbidden fruit, which which seemed like it would satisfy her desire. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. The serpent had tempted Eve to be like God, and Adam and Eve, they treated themselves like gods. They gave worship to themselves, to their own desires, rather than to God. 
And when, when they did so, when they turned from whole worship, trust in the Lord alone, they brought upon themselves and their descendants God's punishment and a broken human nature, our old nature. So when God delivered his people from Egypt much later, he graciously gave them the first commandment to, to reorient them and their hearts, to direct their entire worship back to him alone. And today, God still gives this command to his people, to us. Do you have any other gods besides the Lord? As children of Adam and Eve who have inherited the old nature, we so easily relate to their misplaced worship, don't we? If we had faced that serpent, their response would have been ours. Our eyes would see that the tree is pleasant, is, is desirable to make one wise, and our minds would think, wouldn't it be great if we gained the wisdom that this tree gives? But what we're basically saying is, does all our worship, every moment of our life, belong to God alone, or, or can we also worship ourselves, the misplaced desires of our own hearts? If you desire this, Surely you can have it. You deserve it. Congregation, this, this is the fallen state of human nature, and these are temptations from the devil's mouth himself. This is the fallen worship that our hearts know apart from God's grace. So we must ask ourselves, do you Brother and sister, make an idol out of yourself, your desire, or, or whatever it seems will satisfy that desire. Do you have one particular desire, perhaps, that you build your life around? Maybe it's being accepted by others, having power over others, having things that others don't have, or getting higher grades than others. It may vary depending on where we are, which stage we're at in our lives. Well, what do these desires reveal about the state of your heart? God says, you shall have no other gods before me. So these are, these are difficult things to think about, but we must ask ourselves these questions. And after doing so, let's not linger any longer, because in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are putting our old nature to death. At this point, let's, let's lift our eyes now to a new and a better Adam, a true Israel who, who obeyed the first commandment perfectly on our behalf and someone to whom we owe complete worship. And that brings us to our second point where we'll consider the solution of Jesus' perfect worship. Now, in the very first words of, of Matthew 4, we pick up on some familiar themes. Verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus was led into the wilderness where he spent 40 days and 40 nights. If you remember, in the Old Testament, the Israelites had spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. 
So in some ways, in Matthew 4, Jesus is walking the same steps that the Israelites did. And Jesus is is hungry. You may have fasted for, for one day at a time. And even when we're hungry for a few hours, we we consider ourselves, we describe ourselves as hangry. Hunger brings out some of the worst in us. And here, after 40 days and 40 nights without food, Jesus may be at the very limits of human weakness. After reflecting on the imperfect example of the Israelites in the wilderness, we might wonder, in the words of Lord's Day 34, will the Lord Jesus trust in God alone and submit to Him with all humility and patience? To make matters worse, the tempter, that is the devil, comes to Jesus and speaks to Him. Like our forefathers Adam and Eve, Jesus faces direct temptation from the devil. After seeing again how our first parents responded to to the devil's temptation, we may wonder again in the words of Lord's Day 34, will the Lord Jesus maintain perfect worship of God alone, forsaking all creatures rather than doing the least thing against God's will? Let's move on to the temptations. In the, in the first place, the tempter says, if, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, this at first might seem innocent to us. Jesus was the Son of God and He did have power to turn stones to bread. It wasn't too much later that He turned water to wine. But Jesus' response shows us the subtle danger of the devil's words. He says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There are a few things that we should notice here. In the first place, Jesus responds to temptation by turning straight to the word of God. Our first response to a temptation like this might be, well, I sure am hungry, and if it's possible to turn these stones to bread, why not? But the heart of our Savior is entirely devoted to His Father. He does not look first to His own physical desires to place them on the throne of His heart, but He looks to His Father. What He truly needs, what He lives by, it's not bread It's the Word of God. We should also notice the the very words, the specific verse that Jesus quotes, which comes from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. Deuteronomy 8, the context of that chapter, it speaks of the Israelites' time in the wilderness as a test, I quote, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. As part of this test, God had let His people hunger and then provided them with manna. And again, I quote, that He might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So Jesus walks the very same steps as the Israelites in the wilderness. 
And when he entered this period of testing and hunger, he showed what was in his heart, the commandments of God. In his time of trial, this particular chapter of Deuteronomy was on his heart. Unlike the Israelites, our Lord Jesus perfectly trusted in God alone. Let's also briefly now consider the third temptation where the devil brings up the subject of worship very directly. He took Jesus up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, if Jesus had had already shown that he trusted in God alone, why would this particular temptation be a problem? The devil is not being subtle here. What he suggests is clearly against the first commandment. But take note of what the devil offers to Jesus. All the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Much later, at the end of this same gospel, Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So he he gets what the devil is offering, offering him here. But between the devil's temptation and Jesus' words lies a a long road of suffering. Jesus would be abandoned by his disciples, betrayed, wrongly charged, and crucified, bearing the burden of God's wrath against sin. The devil offers another, a much easier way. All these things, the kingdoms of the world and their glory, I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. What if Jesus could skip the road of suffering? What if he could still receive authority over all things without the cross? Well, praise our God because Jesus doesn't entertain this thought even for a moment. He says, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Once again, the Lord Jesus sees beyond, behind the devil's deceit. If if he was to fall down and worship Satan, he would have directly broken the first commandment. If he was to take Satan's word as, as truth and take the easy way to his goal, he would have placed trust in someone other than God alone. He would have placed his own human preference to avoid suffering rather than God on the throne of his heart. But it was God's will for our Lord to walk the road of the cross for his glory and for our salvation. And our Lord Jesus chose to obey his Father's will, trusting in God's goodness and wisdom. And there's another beautiful detail. Did you notice which verse the Lord Jesus refers to in his response to this temptation? Deuteronomy 6, verse 13, our Bible helpfully has that below. Deuteronomy 6, verse 13 And in the second temptation, Jesus had quoted another verse from Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
So in a time of, of deep suffering, our Lord had the words of this chapter on his heart. A chapter which explains to God's people how to obey the first commandment. How to make sure that they worship the Lord alone. So let's, let's take a step back and, and look at the big picture. We've waded through some details, but let's step back. Because our Lord Jesus, he stood in the place of Adam. And despite the extent of the devil's temptations, our Lord served his father alone. In the words of Lord's Day 34, he rightly knew God and loved, feared, and honored him with all his heart. Our Lord Jesus also stood in the place of Israel. And he fled and avoided all idolatry and worship of other creatures. He did these things not only when tempted by the devil, but over the course of his entire life, even when facing death. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. In Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul speaks of Adam as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. He writes, Through one man sin entered the world, and, and death through sin, and thus, thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. As we saw in our first point, that's where we would be. We would be stuck there, apart from Christ. But... Again, there's always a but. Paul goes on, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And herein, brothers and sisters, lies the gospel. By the rich grace of God, although his, his people do not perfectly worship him alone, he counts the obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ as ours. We all fail to worship God faithfully, and we do deserve to suffer under His wrath. We, we saw that this morning. But our Lord Jesus has borne that wrath upon Himself. It was our sin that held Him there. The one man who perfectly worshiped God alone has, has borne the wrath of God against those who do not. And so we, who by nature place ourselves rather than God on the throne of our hearts, we now cherish the grace of God. So brothers and sisters, in light of this glorious grace, how are we to respond? What must we do? Well, in terms of earning our salvation, there is nothing we can do, for our God has done all for us. So our calling today is simple. We must place or, or renew our faith in Jesus Christ alone. We can place our hope and our faith in no other. And that brings us to our third point where we'll consider the response of our thankful worship. So at this, at this point, resting securely in Christ with our salvation assured, we must worship God alone. Again, not, not for our salvation, 
but in faith, out of thankfulness to God who has worked salvation for us. Now our Lord said to his people on Mount Sinai, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This same God now speaks so many years later to us of deliverance from the house of slavery to sin. It's in this context that we now come to the first commandment again with with fresh eyes, with hearts that no longer condemn us, with the power of the Holy Spirit who equips us to obey it out of thankfulness. And in order for us to learn how to properly worship God alone, we can look back to the example of our Lord Jesus in Matthew 4. And we can look back even further to to Deuteronomy chapter 6, the very words that were on our Savior's heart when he was being tempted by the devil. Now, we saw that our Lord Jesus trusted that he would be sustained by the word of God. He placed aside his hunger, any thought of his own suffering, in order to submit to his Father with all humility and patience. True worship of God, it comes from the heart, and the heart of our Lord was entirely set on His Father's will. Brothers and sisters, can we say the same about our own hearts? Who or what holds first place in your heart? If your thoughts are at rest, what are you thinking about? If your thoughts are racing, what are you thinking about? Sometimes the the focus of our thoughts, it speaks to the state of our worship. There are no other gods besides the Lord, but, but our human hearts, they build idols for themselves. And once you commit to serving those idols, to serving your own desires, you'll you'll turn to anything that enables you to satisfy them. But in that case, you would put your trust in, in things that are not designed to that cannot carry our trust. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses provides an example of how the Israelites are to obey the first commandment, what, what proper worship of the Lord looks like. Now he does this as, as we reflected, as God's people are about to step into the promised land where they'll face a, a pagan culture and influence. There are similarities between the Israelites and their position and ours, isn't there? We've been brought out of the house of bondage to sin, and and while we've not yet reached the promised land, it still lies beyond the Jordan. But we're facing, as we reflected this morning, we're facing a culture of darkness, one very similar to the Canaanites that, that grows more and more pagan. And if we look around at the world, we, saw, we see some of these common idols. We see power, possessions, acceptance, pleasure, and so on. We see struggles for power in our workplaces, among our politicians. We flip on the TV and we're tempted to buy every new and shiny toy. We see the celebration of of sexual pleasure on the cover of magazines in the lineup to check out our groceries. So we look into the world and we see these things. But if we're honest, we don't need to look into the world to see them, do we? 
because the desires of our old nature, they still tempt each of our hearts as well. Against this backdrop, we read some well-known words from Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We heard these words this morning after the reading of the Ten Commandments because our Lord Jesus refers to this as the great and first commandment. And while it's a, it's a summary of the first four of the Ten Commandments, it deals especially with the first commandment. Because in order to worship the Lord alone, we must love Him with our whole being. Brothers and sisters, whom do you love? What does your soul long for? Is it the satisfaction of your desires? Is it your desire to have more authority in this world? Your desire to be loved, accepted, affirmed? Is it your desire to be someone? Sometimes these desires can have good aspects to them. But are these desires signs that you are turning to worship the idol of self? That you are primarily looking to satisfy your own desires in your workplace, in a spouse, in your education, in your home? Do you place your trust in something, in someone other than God alone? Do you move Him from the throne of your heart where He belongs and replace Him with yourself? So brothers and sisters in Christ, I ask again, whom do you love? It must be the God of grace who loves you, who has broken the chains of your sin. The God who alone is God, who alone is worthy of worship, who alone must rule your heart. And the gospel is that if God is your deepest desire, he will satisfy you with his love. He alone is worthy, and he, he commands and equips us by His Spirit to worship Him alone. So in conclusion, we must confess that our hearts are prone to addictions. Our old nature, it tempts us with desires of power, possession, security, and so on. And if we follow those desires, we do find ways to satisfy them at least temporarily. And we become dependent on whatever it takes to get our fix. So addictions can be a sign of idolatry in our lives. Perhaps we should be more careful when we casually speak about addictions to coffee, to social media, to Netflix. Or perhaps if we do say these things, we should first examine our hearts and and make sure they're not taking up too much space. We should make sure these addictions don't really point to an idol. So this afternoon, we've seen the problem of our fallen worship. But we've also seen the solution given by our God. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has perfectly obeyed, fulfilled the first commandment for us, for you and for me. And of course, this doesn't mean that we set it aside. It means that we have all the more reason now to obey out of thankfulness. Our God equips us to do so by the power of His Holy Spirit. 
So brothers and sisters in Christ, we must not have any other gods before our God. Let our praises and our worship forever rise to our triune God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All the glory evermore be to God alone. Amen.